with fast funding up to $10,000 available through net credit. Our online application process was designed to get the money you need quickly if approved. You can borrow an amount that meets your needs and repay in a way that works for your financial situation. And we report on-time payments to credit bureaus so you can build credit history as you repay. See what net credit can do for you today. Check your eligibility without affecting your credit score at netcredit.com. All net credit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the net credit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com slash partners for more information. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Hi everybody, uh, welcome to a very special 1875 podcast. Uh, we do have a special guest with us who played for Blackburn Rovers, but most importantly to quite a lot of us, is kind of one of us. Um, grew up in uh, in the Lancashire area, went to a Blackburn-based school and came through the youth system with us. So we're very fortunate to have James Beatty with us. How are you, James? I'm very well, thanks, Sandy. I'm struggling with the news of the European Super League. We're recording this on the 20th of April. I know this is going to go out a little bit from there, but um, it's really thrown me for a loop, really. I know that I'm a Blackburn Rovers supporter and we're not directly involved, but I feel that this is affecting the entire game that we love. Um, what's your initial take on it? Obviously, not too far out of the game yourself, coaching and playing even. So what what do you make of this? Well, I I heard about it. Um, sort of the the rumblings within the football world about six months ago, right? Uh, and I asked some some people in the game that I know, um, and they said that it, it wouldn't happen. There'd be the big outlash that we've seen from everybody, basically, uh, especially the fans, because the game belongs to the fans. You know, we we, we I knew that as a player, we. You know, we know that as coaches uh, and managers, and um, I think it's for me, it's the rich just trying to get richer. Um, I think it's a you know, it's a betrayal from those clubs that have accepted to go in yeah. to the fans that have supported them for 100 and odd years, um, and I think it's just the way that it's been done by the owners who were super rich anyway, getting together and concocting this plan to get even richer um, without any thought for anybody, like you said, that has love for the game or um, the game of football itself, which is which is what, what we all love. You know, I, I remember as a kid, you you played football anyway, anywhere you could. Um growing up watching the FA Cup final, then when the Premier League started, and then to to see Blackburn win the Premier League. Um my hometown team was was amazing. And and that's what the the fairy tales like that. Uh and then, you know, Jack Walker had a massive part to play in that, who was probably one of the first um decent owners. Um and saw his his love for the club come through. And it's now just turned into a 
you know, see, see, who could, it's like, it's like when they, when they show off the big boats and that is, you know, yeah. let's see if we can get the most money. Um, and it's, it's not right. And I'm sure that we'll have enough weight with the supporters. Um, and, and an important one is actually the players. Um, it'd be interesting to see what the Premier League do. Uh, if they do decide to go, um, whether they're allowed back or what. Um, but yeah, I, I don't agree with it. I think it's um, the Champions League is is the ultimate European competition, um, and you get different teams in that in, in any given year. Uh, you know, I know I know Southampton went to Inter Milan in the um, in the Europa in the Europa League a few years ago, and and the fans still talk about that. And I'm sure. You know, we we went to Europe with Southampton as as a player, and and that's what you, you know, you want your team to do well domestically, to then push on and go and play these teams in Europe, uh, and and for that to be sort of taken away would be a travesty. Yeah, you mentioned Jack Walker there. Obviously, we'll come to him again in our Rovers chat that we will have, but um, he obviously. He is the antithesis of what's going on at the moment. He, yes, fair enough. He, he poured a lot of money into the game and the club, but he always had the the best wishes of Blackburn Rovers and its people and the people of Blackburn at its heart. Um, what we're seeing now is is people from all over the world owning these these clubs and doing what's best for them and what's best for their business. Now is what's best for the, the the people that connected to the club and. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's Liverpool, Manchester United or any of the other four. Um, they've got histories going back into the, the 19th century in their local communities and it's being ripped from them. And, and that's upsetting. And it's also upsetting that this will also have a trickle down effect to the people in the championship, the people in League One, the people in League Two, not just the players, not just the, the clubs, but the, the people that are employed by them and the, and the fans as well. And. And to feel that that's been taken away from us is is heartbreaking, to be honest. And and um, I'm pretty much feeling it at the minute. Uh, we did have a question on that from one of our sponsors, Six Yards Out, because um, there's been rumblings about whether um, players are going to be banned from World Cups and 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 UEFA competition as well. Um, he asks you, um, would you have joined a team in the Super League if that meant never playing for England? Oh, that is a good question. Um, if it if it if it scrubbed out my chances of playing for England, then no. But I never thought I'd play for England anyway. <laughs> but you so, did. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a tough one. That I don't think it's it's nothing to do with the players. The players have had no say in this whatsoever. So it's not the yeah. fault of the players. It's not the fault of the manager. I'm sure the the Mourinho fallout or, or or what's to come out in the press in the in the the next couple of weeks. You know whether whether Daniel Levy's agreed this and and gone to to join the Super League and and Jose's disagreed with it and then he's been sacked. We don't we don't know. But as I said, the fallout will come to that. Mm-hmm. But. You heard Jurgen Klopp's interviews last night. He was he was against it, and and he's saying that there's no blame to come on the players or him, um, and and it's it's to do with the owners and and them getting together and and concocting this this European Super League. I think the biggest impact, which you mentioned just before, about the knock-on effect will will be the TV money because if the Premier League isn't that twenty teams with the with the top teams in it, 
there's not going to yeah. be as much demand to watch them games and therefore the, the money will, will not be as big. Therefore, the you know, the, the, the dilution through the leagues won't be as big. So then obviously the revenues of those clubs will, will dilute and then, you know, it might see it might see the end of I don't know, some of the you know, the smaller clubs, which is not what we want. We want the we want the structure as it is. If it needs changing to make it more sustainable, I'm all for that, no problem. Um and uh I, I just see this as a as a way to just dismantle mm-hmm. not just the league but, but the whole game itself. And I can see a lot of people who are really disgruntled with it. You see the opinions flying around on social media and saying that the fans have, have been supporting the clubs for 20, 30, 40 years, you know, turn the back on them. Without without those fans, those clubs, you know, will will, will cease to exist. And that that's that's the most disappointing thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I know this is a topic that we can probably talk about for ages, but um, yeah, we should probably move... Sorry, yeah, we should, we should probably move on to happier times and um, let's talk about Blackburn Rovers. Um, so you, you've already mentioned, obviously, it's, it's your local team it's, and, and seeing them win the, the title in 94-95 is probably a, a massive highlight for both of us. But let's take it back a step further even from there. How did you even, I mean, get involved with Rovers as a youngster? Was it, was it what, did you just play football in the streets and then go to school teams and things like that? How did it develop for you? Well, I was a swimmer when I was younger, so that's used to take up all my time. School and swimming was was my thing uh, until I was about fourteen. Um, but always, always played football for for the school, and you know, loved it. Like I said, um, I grew up in Cherry Tree, which is not far from Ewood. Uh, you just walk along the canal a bit, uh, bringing back memories now. Um, <laughs> and I went to St Francis uh, School there. And there was a there was an influential guy actually who, who was the headmaster there, a guy called Peter Warburton. Used to have a lot of affiliation with Preston North End, and he was he was brilliant. He was you know a very good football coach, but I think he coached actually maybe one of the youth teams at Preston, um, and he was always trying to push me in because of my physicality, because of me because I was quite well developed because of swimming. I had the fitness and the the physicality, which then translated into my actual game when I turned pro or, or joined Blackburn. Um, but swimming was my thing up until about 14. And then I remember I was, I went, I went after St. Francis, I went to Queggs and I used to, again, swimming up to 14 and then used to play for the inter-house teams and, and the school team. Um, and I started to concentrate. I got a shoulder injury, so I had to stop swimming. Uh, and then I started concentrating on football. And as I said, my, my physicality, that was the sort of player I was. I was i was really fit for my age and probably more physically developed. Um, and that's probably what caught the eye of a guy called Derek Langley, who was uh, a scout at Blackburn. And he used to come to Quegg's games and watch me. And... Um, he just in, invited me down to train with, um, I think it was the youth team, and they used to train at Witten on the AstroTurf. So he used to come on with AstroTurf Burns every every <laughs> Monday night. I think it was. I'm familiar with those. Um, 
and then it's not like the 4Gs they've got now. No, uh, but little did I know, this this were going on to when I went to Southampton. One of them lads who were in that youth team was Dave Jones's son. So I went as a, a 15-year-old. Um, I, I, I impressed. I actually played in the Lancashire Youth Cup uh, against Burnley at Turf Moor when I was still at school. Um, so moving on, and then and then I did my GCSEs, did well in my GCSEs, and I wanted to go into on to do medicine at uni, and you know going to go into the medical world, um, and the decision came. So when when I'd done my GCSEs, Blackburn approached my dad and said, "Oh, we we want to take James on a YTS," and uh, my dad said, "No." He said, hmm. uh, right, "Okay," but unbeknown to me at that age and Blackburn, my dad used to negotiate on behalf of the union, so he used to negotiate the whole wages for the for the truck drivers, and uh, you know he was a, a clever guy. Um, and then Blackburn came back and said, "All right, we'll give him a two-year YTS, one-year pro." And he said, "No, I didn't know any of this." Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, then they came back again and said, "All right, we'll give him a one-year YTS, two-year pro." And then that's when my dad came to me. Right. Um, what he wanted because, that, did he? Yeah, because he because he put so much effort in sending me to, you know, Quags, remortgage the house twice. He, he got up at three, four o'clock in the morning, came home at six o'clock every day, you know, worked worked his ass off. And um, he just he just wanted some security for me and for his investment, I suppose. Um, but he left the whole decision to me. He said, this is what's on offer. Um, and I said, well, Dad, you know, what do I do as a 15-year-old kid just yeah. on my GCSEs with, with aspirations to go on into medical school? I didn't. He said, right, well, he said, you can look at it this way. He said, you can give it a shot and see what happens, and then you can always fall back on your education if, if it doesn't work out. Or you can carry on with your education and you'll always be thinking, what if? Yeah. You know, I'll always add, if, if you, even, even going down to watch Rovers, as a, I went to my first game when I was seven, and then, you know, followed them all over when my dad would take me. And I went to the semi-final at, um, at Derby. And, you know, I've got pictures in the Telegraph of me throwing paper and stuff like that. So I thought to play, to give it a go and try and play for, for my hometown team, the club that I loved and followed, I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. And then if, if it doesn't work out, we'll, you know, go back go back to education. Yeah, and let's say it worked out. Yeah, um, and then that, that was the big decision, and yeah, it it, it went all right. It went all right. Uh, we'll go on to how all right it went um, soon. Just you've mentioned a couple of things there. I was going to leave questions to the end in the main, but there's been a couple of things as you've been talking that have um, actually cropped up in the questions. I can't find the swimming question because I wasn't going to use it, but you brought it up. So somebody asked how how far you think you would have gotten in swimming if it wasn't for the injury. Well, what when I got injured, I was I was ranked second in the country. Mm. Um, so were you aiming for the Olympics? Is that what your fourteen year old self was? It would have been. It would have been. Um, 
it would have been a, a, a suitable uh, sport to run alongside my education. Mm, yeah. Um, whereas fo- football, you know, you, 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 I've learned that you have to put your heart and soul into it. Now that's not to say you can't educate yourself while you while you're playing and training because you again having learned this as a player you do have a lot of of spare time um which you could fill very easily with 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 educational programs or further qualifications or whatever you wanted to do and i know that the the system in america works well where the lads go to college and then the the, f- the football is a byproduct because i've got a few friends who work out at the unis um, and some of them players have gone on to play pro whilst being very well, very well educated as well. So, um, but it was, uh, I was, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I thought they'd run alongside each other quite well. Uh, and then obviously the, the way I made and the way I was brought up was to, I, I, I knew from an early age that I wanted to, win races and and be competitive and um you know the dedication that you need to show as a swimmer is is you know is right up there with with any sport yeah um so there's a lot of translation between those those sports i was doing when i was younger life you know as you grow up and you go through that we've all needed resilience over the last 18 months two years uh that we had to call upon um so i just thought that they were they were quite suited to go and I would have I would have been aiming yeah for the top because I used to look at it as I I was always racing against the clock um, and we know as we grow older that the clock beats everybody because you know everybody passes and if I if I was always striving to beat something that was out of my reach then I was always pushing myself beyond the limits that I had if you if you know what I mean yeah you're trying to achieve something almost unattainable, so you keep going and going yeah. until yeah. yeah, getting to the. I mean, that is the way I suppose to get to the peak. Um, if you're always trying to chase something that just always remains out of reach, and um, were you were just I don't know about your swimming career. Were you freestyle or um, medley? Um, or did you? When I, I when I was younger, uh, yeah, I did I did all the strokes, but freestyle was my best stroke. I think I think a couple of my records in in meters still stand now. I actually had a funny phone call about two years ago from a lad that I'd never ever met, um, but I knew through a friend of a friend. So it might have been one of the lads that I was competing against at, at, when I was competing. It might have been his son or something. And he rang me and he just said, "Oh yeah, I've just beat one of your records," and that was only two years ago. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, like, right, okay, mate. Nice one. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say to that? Um, yeah. And I've got a, a, a message here, really, more than a question from Steve Mack, um, big Rover supporter. He asks a few things. He says, why was his dad's nickname uh, Moscow Make at Red Brewery? And why did he not get sent off in an English school semi-final for Queggs against the Liverpool school? His teacher was Mr Richardson. I was the ref. I worked with his dad. So I don't know whether that's a question or a comment. But uh yeah. no idea about that um, <laughs> maybe uh i bet there is someone his, might have been his mustache or something i don't uh, know might, i bet there's someone who watches this who does know the answer to that and yeah, uh, if you do yeah. then comment below or just send a, a, a tweet 
to this uh, podcast with the answer to that. Do you remember that English school semi-final? Oh, well, I didn't get sent off because there's no VAR. In <laughs> right. Do, yeah. What did you do? Do you remember? I can't remember, I can't remember the incident now. Uh, okay. Steve will probably remember and tell us. Right. So you're in. So you've been accepted with this uh, one-year YTS and two-year pro. So you go. So what was the process then? Do you go down for your first training session? Uh, where was it? Was this when Brock Cole was built, or was it being built at the time? Uh, how does the timeline yeah, work there? Brock. Yeah. We 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 used to train at Pleasure, so we had to. We had to go down and we were at the brick. Do you remember the brick? I do remember the brick. Yeah, yeah just behind the uh, Darwin end. Yeah. Um, so we used to we used to meet all meet there, the the YTs and the first team, and then you got assigned a player or two players to look after. So you whatever they needed, you needed to have that equipment ready or else you know you you were stood up in front of them. Stripped naked and asked to dance, and it was, oh, in those, it was that, those were the days. Those were um, the days. Who did you have then? I think my my first, uh, I'm sure it was. I, I remember doing Graham Lasso's boots, and and there was a massive, not not fight, but there was a massive discussion about Shearer's but uh, Shearer's boots, right? And uh, obviously, I wanted to do them. Um, but I, I, I think they just got the they got randomly assigned. It would have been by Swerve uh, Alan Irving, um, and uh, yeah, I was well jealous of of someone else doing shoot. I can't remember who it was, but uh, yeah, I was I was spewing. I'll be over looking over like that, cleaning these boots. <laughs> I do a better job than that. I was good. Well, I was going to say, do you like spit on them or something like that when they finish? Used to do all sorts. Used to have competitions to see who could get them the the cleanest and. Who, who, who was the who, who was the best boot boy and uh, the lads the lads were great the seniors were were brilliant with us absolutely brilliant yeah absolutely so you must have seen some changes then as you were going through um, as develop as you said Jack Walker was involved um, what was it like at Rovers Academy at the time I remember what I went down to watch the the youth teams that you would when you used to play there and I saw you playing um, well I was obviously only a, Kid as well, but um, what was it like? You seemed to have a very good team back then, and, and a, lot, a lot of success with the young players. Yeah, I, I think that the the scouting system was was really good at that time, um, and and I know scouting's been around, but I think maybe Blackburn uh, they hadn't won the title yet. No, yeah, they had. I don't know, but they they were they were able to then recruit more younger players um, and I remember a few lads coming over from Ireland that were very good players um, and 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 quite a few sort of Manchester lads and a few homegrown players like around from around Blackburn Darwin and that and we all we we actually moved to Brockhall after about six months right Um and we lived in those houses, as you not the top bit now because that went that wasn't there. It was still the asylum, <laughs> and uh, uh, and we used to. So as you drive down to the bottom, we used to live in the houses on the left, and it was um, it was brilliant. Eighteen young lads in there, and the banter was great. And then you and then you had a a set of you know seniors that were that were great with us as well, um, and actually, you know. 
didn't realise how lucky you were to have someone like Kennedy Algleish and Ray Alford and Tony Parks um, looking after the first team. You know, Jim Fennell was always around at that time, who, who was a really, you know, great fella. Um, Terry Darricott used to look after the resis. Um, and then the sort of youth team was, it was it was a different structure then. It was it was B team, A team, reserves, first team. Um, so as first years, you automatically went into the B team. And then if you played well, you might get a game for the A team or you might be on the bench for the resis or whatever. But I remember going to Brockle for the first time and we played Liverpool and I'd never ever seen a pitch like that. Mm. Like you were saying, you go from Plessy, Pleasanton, Plainfields, um, which were not, which were, there were a couple of decent pitches, but obviously council owned loads of games on them, used to get yeah. caught up. At the beginning of the season, they were all right. But this was just Another level. luscious. Yeah, you know, when you go on holiday and, and you go to a, a hot country and it's got that really thick grass, it, <laughs> yeah, it's quite nice on your feet underneath the, all the palm trees and that it was like that but it was just a great great colour of green and expanding three or four pitches and we just thought wow this is amazing and then we played Liverpool for the B team and beat them 6-0 yeah. so that gave you an indication of the sort of scouting network and recruitment that, that was being done at that time Uh and we Do you remember fortunate. any of the names of the lads that you were in the youth system with? Yeah. Um, uh, Graham Cassin, Dave Worrell, obviously Broomsy was there, Marlon Brooms. Brooms. Um, a couple of the younger ones, you know, would have been James Thomas, Ben Brewer was there. Um, God, you... Calling me memory and all, but it was it, it was just a great it was just a great mix, great mix of lads. Obviously, I had to get on. There was arguments, of course, there was, but you know we were young lads, a lot of testosterone for, flowing around in that house. Um, <laughs> but we, yeah. we we were we were well drilled by Swerve, and uh, you know I still speak to Alan a lot now, and we were very fortunate to have some somebody like him. Uh, coaching us, you know, in control of us, but he didn't just shape us as players, he shaped us as men as well. Because you had, you you know, we were, we were a good set of lads. I think he, he would admit that, but, you know, the discipline and he was out running everyone anyway. He was winning all the running races and we were 15, 16 and he was, he was yeah. beating us. I, I, I suppose, you know, in a way that was to, to, sh to show us really that, you know, this is what you need to do. I'm hearing echoes of the, the current system in what you're saying, though. Obviously, we both know Simon Cooper, who was, was generous enough to allow us to get in touch with each other. Um, and he talked a lot about the building young players as men as well as as uh, as footballers. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like Alan Irvin and, and the rest of the staff had that kind of at the forefront of their mind as well. And obviously, now you as a coach, is that something that you think is really important in, in young player development? Of course, um, you 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 try and improve the player, um, you know, but you try and improve the person as much, if not if not more, um, to make them understand that the journey is not going to be all plain sailing. There's going to be lots of ups and downs, and we mentioned you know pre chat about that resilience. Um, 
and, and things are going to get thrown at you, curveballs all the time. And it's just having a really strong mentality. Um, uh, you know, making sure that the, I think, I think politeness is, is a big one and, and making sure you've got good people on your team uh, that are, um, you know, loyal and they want, they want the teammates to do well as well as themselves because, you know, without, without your teammates on a pitch, you, you, you're not going no. to win the game on your own. So you need them, your teammates, to, to make you look good. You know, so all the sort of relationships that go into building a team um, and creating a, a sort of elite environment. There's there's a lot of clubs that do it well. I know I'm on my diploma of football management and Billy Barr's on it. And he's, mm. he's a great lad, is Billy. Um, and he talks a lot about, you know, the shaping of, of, of boys into men. And, and the, the you know, the football's very, very important. But, uh, you know, as, as important is how they behave, how they conduct themselves. And, and it usually, if you look at the All Blacks model, it's one of them where, yeah. you know, I think everybody aspires to, to be, they're the best team in the world or, or have been. Um, and, and you know, it's no coincidence that, that their sort of structure and, and philosophy is on the person is, is as important as the player. Yeah. They do have the added, added benefit of everybody in that country um, just for, like it's almost like a pyramid towards the All Blacks, and those four million people all just um, build build that team together, uh, which is obviously a benefit that not a lot of football teams do. But you're right; there's so much you can take from their structure and the way that they bring through individuals. And every single one of those All Blacks would be uh, an upstanding member of society for sure, and 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 someone to be proud of and I think if you can build that kind of culture in your academy football team whatever it is you know your team that you're working with um, yeah in any in any walk of life then you're onto a winner um, it should, it always it, you're right and, and, it, and it's the silver fern that they all aspire to uh, and, and pulling that shirt on and it's you know I, I guess it's no different for for young local kids yeah you know whichever or, or whichever team they support um if they can come through the local ranks and make it, for me, pulling the Blackburn shirt on for my debut was, you know, one of the best moments of my life. Um, you know, up there with later on the kids being born and getting married and making my England debut, it was it was a really special moment for me because I'd yeah. supported all my life, and you know, I suppose in in a way that's similar to the Silver Fern. Mm. Great drains for the Red Rose of uh, Arteta Labore. Um, let's move on to that then. You obviously you kind of you've gotten a reputation within the the Rovers fans at the time in the mid nineties of we have this kid coming through scoring bagfuls of goals in the res, reserve teams, the B team, the A team, as you said. Um, and then finally, you, you get to make a debut on the pitch. I think it was against Arsenal. Um, it was Arsenal, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I was there. I was in the stands at the time, um, and. So, you, like I say, you pulled on that shirt for the first time against a very formidable defence. That was the defence of Dixon, Winterburn, Keon, and Adams, was it? it? Might have been at the time. Yeah. So, how, like, first of all, how did you find out that you were going to be selected, uh, and then how did you feel, like, in the build-up towards towards the match? Um, I was training. I was training with the. Uh, not, not the first team 
because they were doing match prep and then someone got injured i'm sure it was either it was either fenners graham fenton or Shearer, maybe and i got the call to come over <laughs> um and then we would we were just doing a bit of shape and uh I, I'm, I'm sure i i'm sure i couldn't get my bib on you know uh and yeah, I was faffing, and I, yeah, it was. I was nervous, obviously, going over and that, because uh, uh, I knew I, I went straight into the the starting lineup, but didn't know I was playing. But mm. you know, you you're trying to do everything right, and uh, I think I was struggling. <laughs> I was struggling to get my bib on, and he's going hurry up, and I was going. I'm, I'm trying, Kaffer. I'm trying. <laughs> Well, just, just to heighten the nerves a little bit more, yeah. I'm not putting my bib up, which is so easy to do. But in that situation, um, then we went through and then... Was, so was this Roy Hodgson who was in charge at the time? Was it Ray Harford still? Um, I'm sure it was Roy. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was Roy. Roy. Roy Hodgson, yeah. Because I've, I've spoken to him since about it uh, and he remembered it. And... Uh, he was he was he was quite forceful, was Roy wasn't he? And uh, mm. and then it was um yeah, just just did the session and then the 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 team went up and I, I was playing and I'd I'd moved back. I was living with my parents, uh, still on Preston Hall Road at the time. Um can't really remember too much about maybe not getting enough sleep or being nervous. Uh but I, I can remember running out, uh, and and uh, the excitement, the nervousness. Of course, you're playing against Arsenal. I think at the Champions at that time, and um, like you said, you've got Adams and Keon marking you for mm. your debut. But I, I was, I was, all, I've always been sort of a confident lad, um, and you know, as I said, I was, I wasn't as physically developed as they were. But I could I could hold my own physically, um, and I was super fit because of the swimming, and then obviously the training, the land training. Um, so I had I had confidence in my ability to 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 try and uh, impose myself on the game. Um, but yeah, we got we got beat two nil. Mm. Then I remember after the game, Ian Wright came up to me and he said, "Keep playing like that, son. You'll be all right." And I was I was buzzing with that. He'd scored two in that game. He was the one who was the the he scored in the third and the fifty first minute. Um, Twenty four thousand in Ewood that day. Um, the team was Flowers, uh, Jeff Kenner, Nicky Marker was in the team. Um, Hingberg, Gary Croft in, the, in defence, and then Tim Sherwood, Will Cox, uh, George Donis, who we mentioned pre uh, chat as well. Actually, funnily enough, um, and Jason Will and Lars Bohinen, sorry, and then you and, and Chris Sutton up front. So. Um, that will bring back a few memories, I'm sure, uh, for you and probably for a lot of people um, listening to this and watching it. Um, Arsenal's team, Seaman, Dixon, Keon, Bald, Adams, Winterburn. So it looked like they played a back five. Uh, interestingly, David Platt, Patrick Vieira, Paul Merson, Ian Wright and John Hartson. So, um, yeah, aficionados. Uh, they were four at the back. They would have been they? four. Yeah. Yeah, they always played a back five. I'm just wondering how that kind of... Dixon, Keon, Bold, Adams, and Winterburn fitted into that 
But anyway, it doesn't matter. We're not doing analysis on uh, 1996 football necessarily, but um, those were the teams and, and what a what a day. I do have a question related to that day, and I don't know whether you'll know the answer. I'm testing your memory all the time here. Uh, Patrick Owens on Facebook That's said... Uh, yeah, it's yeah, good mental exercise. What was really said when you squared up to Keon in front of the Blackburn end? Oh, no idea. Do you remember squaring up to Keon in front of the Blackburn end? Yeah, I, I, I could remember. Like I said, it was he, he was an aggressive player, wasn't he? But yeah. I, you know, I I was physical, and I don't know whether I'd upset him or. You know, give him a late tackle or whatever. <laughs> Dogs on my lap. Um, but yeah, it would have just been to stand up for myself and stand up for my team, stand up for the badge. Um, yeah. You know, and if he wanted to be physical, no problem, bring it on. I'm just looking at the match report here. I didn't look at this beforehand, but um, it says here Vieira was caught in possession in midfield and the 18 year old David Tont striker beat. He was given a chance to lob Seaman. Um, but didn't quite get enough height on his effort. Now, uh, staying away from the obvious joke of lobbing seamen on the pitch, um, do you remember having any big chances of like that one on on the pitch? Was it is it one of those that goes by in a blur, or do you do you remember kind of every detail of that? Yeah, no, you you just saying that. I, I've got a little bit. I remember I remember a little bit of regret not hitting it properly, and I think seamen sort of caught it here, um, whereas. Yeah, I'd probably been disappointed not to score that, but I haven't seen it for twenty, maybe thirty years. No, not thirty years, twenty odd years. So, but I can I can sort of remember being a little bit disappointed in in that effort and not catching it right. Because if That's I had scored, then I'd have probably done, you know, five laps of the pitch or something. <laughs> yeah, well, you were fit, um, but. It's an interesting sliding doors moment because I'm sure that's not the only chance that you had in, in the games that you played for Blackburn, but obviously you didn't score for us. Um, do you think that if that if, if you had a scored or if there had been a moment like that where it just bounced in off your bum or whatever, that things would have might have worked out differently, he would for you? Yeah. There's nothing more than I would have wanted than to establish myself and, and score goals for Blackburn Rovers. I'd, I'd have I'd have loved that. That was, you know, since I started supporting them to to play for them. Uh, you know, albeit my mind was on my going into medicine, but them dreams are always there. And we mentioned it at the start with that Super League. It's it's what, it's what every kid dreams of. You know, when I was really young, Simon Garner was the man, and yeah. I remember meeting meeting him in the Hundred Club, which used to be in the Nuttall Street stand. Um, and you know what it was like after the games. Simon had a pint and a fag in, mm. pint in one hand and a fag in the other. But I was just stood there like that because you saw in all of them. You got the book um, as well? I have got the book, yeah. Just got it to show you. He tweeted me, actually. It was nice. Um, but, yeah, that's what you, that's what you dream of. And, and I... You know, I was lucky enough to to make my debut. I only played five times for for Blackburn, but there's nothing more I would have liked than to establish myself. And it's actually what I had in my mind when I moved to Southampton. Mm. So I'd set it out. I, I I always try and work to a plan. And my, my I, I knew that I hadn't I'd made five appearances from being 18 to when I was 20. So I 
I had it in my mind, this this real focus and drive to um, make more appearances, get get five, seven goals, you know, establish myself as as a with all these players that Blackburn had the ability to to sign at that time. Um, it, it was uh, you know I was up against it, I suppose, but that's exactly what I had in my mind, and there were there was no there was no no one going to get in the way of it. No being, up, being up against it is is quite the, the the theme of around that time of Blackburn because I've got a couple of questions on here. Uh, Ryan Hildred, who's one of our contributors, uh, says, "Looking back, do you feel like he may have been even a year or two early breaking through at Rovers?" And Glenn Emerson builds on that by saying, "You know, you had the likes of Shearer, Sutton, Kevin Gallagher, um, Martin Darlene came in as well. Um, was it a good education with them, or was it daunting? And and do you kind of almost wish that you would come in?" Like maybe a couple of years later, when the likes of Damien Duff and and David Dunn were coming through, had more of a chance, maybe. Um, no, I, I, I think it was probably more inspirational and gave you more determination because you knew where you needed to be and how good you needed to be to get in and to break in. Um, and as I said, I had the I had the self belief within me to to establish myself in the team. Um, but having having those guys around the training ground, working so closely with them, watching them train, having really good coaches that we had. You know, Roy was an excellent coach. He used to stand on the sidelines and watch the first team train. I mean, what what better uh, idol or, or role model could you have than, than Shearer mm. uh, and, and the other players? You know, obviously Shearer because I was a striker, but the... The other players that were there, Colin, you know, Colin Hendry, who, who epitomised everything about what Blackburn Rovers meant. I, I remember being at the cup fire, the cup members' cup final, and when he scored, and I had, I think I had my band on too tight, and I got this mad headache at Wembley. <laughs> but you know, we won the game, and it, it's only it's only later when these guys, you know, become people that you can talk to, uh, and you know, they'll give you the time of day. They've always done that. I remember Shearer coming into us. It was our first year, so we would have been first years. And you, you, you have got these these players walking up and down the corridor that you aspire to be and that you admire. And 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 Shearer was he came he came in. So we were all sat around in one of the changing rooms at Brock Hall, and the door opened, and we thought, ah. Oh, you know, is it going to be one of the coaches who gives a bollocking or something? And uh, it was Shearer, and he and everybody's jaw dropped, including mm-hmm. mine. And he was just thinking, what what's he what's he going to say? What what does he want? And he went, oh, how did you get on at weekend, lads? And you know, and we we're just gobsmacked. And that's what that's what they were like. The well, I say I'd say all of them. They were just. And I'm sure you've had lads on who who spoke about that actual environment that they were in, and I was lucky enough in my later career to be part of environments like that. But they were just all good lads. They 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 were good at what they did. They trained really hard, um, but they were good people. Um, you know that Shearer was so loud around the training ground. Same. You always, yeah, unbelievable. You know, he's not he's not shy, but he's. He's sort of quiet, isn't he? But oh, when he when he was in his his environment, he always used to come in and he was shouting and that, and you'd be smiling because you knew he was in the building. And 
they were they were they were good you know I, I can imagine they were a good group to coach um you had the odd mad one which every every group of footballers has it was the mad one um, so he was quite mad um Jay Jay Wilcox was quite mad but da- David May was the maddest for me <laughs> yeah it was mental but they were great they were great they weren't they weren't malicious with any of it it was just all banter and it was it was good they got yeah they got they they didn't pick on us but they got us to do some you know pretty weird stuff you had to run around the training ground naked and you know what I mean they put DP in places maybe they shouldn't have done, but, <laughs> have done yeah. but it was all it was all part of it you know it was all part and parcel of of toughening you up and uh, making sure if, if, say, for instance, you hadn't done a job properly, then you, you would know that you would need to do it again. Um, because either, either through embarrassment or pain, <laughs> you, you'd remember to do it properly, you know. Yeah. But it was a, uh, it, it was, it was just an unbelievable environment to 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 develop in, and and yeah, they were they were great role models to to look up to. I suppose so there's a. Yeah, there's a narrative that you could say that you wouldn't have maybe achieved what you have gone on to achieve if it hadn't have been, you know, Ryan's saying about breaking through later, but maybe obviously that takes you on a different path. And you yeah. might not have had that kind of determination to beat the very best, which is what Alan Shearer and Chris Sutton were. They are, I mean, the best strikers in the country at the time and possibly yeah, some yeah. of the best. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, things happen for a reason and, and that kind of brings us on to kind of your end of, the, of your time at Blackburn as a player and the deal that took Kevin Davis up and, and you down Southampton, which is where you, you join us from now. How did how was that broached to you at the time? And were you reticent to go? Obviously, you were Blackburn Rover Sport, a local lad. This is a, the opposite side of the country. Um, just talk us through the process of, of how that came about for you. I know exactly where I was. I, I'd, I've already said that I've, I had that plan in my mind um, and I was playing golf on Clitheroe Golf Course with Damien Taylor and Tom Finn rang me mm. and he said, you know, pleasantries. Hi, James, how are you? Yeah, fine, thanks, Tom. Um, we've sold you to Southampton and started okay, crying. So not even a discussion about it, it's just this is no. happening. Uh, yes, especially when I, I don't know whether it was part of the Kevin Davis deal. I think it happened a little bit later, but irrespective, knowing what I know now, and I mentioned Dave Jones's son, didn't I? Yeah. So Dave Jones was watching. So roll on five years, and and I think two about a month or six weeks previous, he'd signed Rippers Stuart Ripley. Yeah. Apparently, he had one conversation with Ripley, Stewart, and he went, go and get him. And obviously, with, with Kevin coming up up to Blackburn, then there was uh, maybe a space, not not necessarily, necessarily to go straight in the first team, but to develop maybe. And um, So, yeah, I got the phone call, started crying, thought my world had ended. Then I calmed down. And called on all the resources that I had, you know, mentally, and, and uh, went down to meet Dave Jones. Dave Jones uh, spelled it out what he wanted me to do. 
for 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 him and and for the club. Um, and it was basically the same plan that I had, but with a different team. Mm. Um, Did you speak to your dad? Was he the first person that you spoke to afterwards? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, I would have definitely done that. And and again, he would have been, um, you know, diplomatic because Robbers were his team as well. Mm. Um, but he left the choice, and he didn't leave the choice up to me. But he said, just you know, think about the decision you made to leave school, and then see where that's took you, and then you know, make this decision. And it was the first time I'd moved away from my parents' house, mm. so I went. And it's you know it's not the shortest distance to travel. No, seemed like seemed like the end of the earth. When I used to go with my dad in the truck when I was you know young, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. Romsey was a really long way, and I remember the the brewery at Romsey and how how big it looked. Um, so moving down to Southampton was you know Romsey's only ten minutes down the road. Uh, one of the first places I went was to that brewery. And it was tiny. I remember it being small, but it, that was all to try and you know just just link the things together um, and try and make me feel more comfortable in my own head. Um, went 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 to training for the first time. Again, lucky enough to have a dressing room full of you know good people, um, good players. Obviously, Matt Latiz was there. Made me feel really welcome. Franny, Dave Hughes, Kenny Moncow, Richard Dryden, you know, and, and what I learned from becoming part of that group was um, that they were good people as well. Um, but that's, so that first season in Southampton, um, it wasn't just, it wasn't all playing sailing, was it? You had kind of injuries and spells where you weren't scoring goals, but you, you kind of came to at the end. Um, I think Southampton had a really terrible start to that season as well, didn't they? They lost the yeah. first five and then um, they only had two wins in the first like 20 matches. Um, but thankfully, I suppose you were part of this as well, started to score goals um, towards the end of the season and, and survived and then kind of kicked on from there, really. Yeah, it was the, it was the great escape, yeah. What, what they call the great escape at Southampton. And um, I didn't start playing until November in the in the team I've made a couple of sub sub appearances and really started to to put that plan into place that I had in my mind in, in November. Um, and again, you you're training with good players. You know, watching Latiz in in training was was a, was was a great place to be for me personally. Um, and yeah, it was it was the determination probably to to get out of trouble and and to establish myself as a, as a first team regular um and I ended up getting player at year that year uh I mean I mean I think I scored five goals in that first season but yeah. they were they were really important goals um in terms of points gained and and the position we were in uh but again just just playing to my strengths uh, d determination, you know, running the channels, being being a real pest for for centre halves and that, and then chipping in with a few goals. So I thought, yeah. I thought it was exactly what I had planned to do at Blackburn. I did it at Southampton instead. 
Yeah, like you, you did mention about five goal kind of target there. You got that um, again, like you said, towards the end of the season, 22 starts you made in the league and um, winners against Leicester at the third to last game of the season, opening scoring against Wimbledon um, the week later. And these were, like I say, absolutely key goals. Other players in that team, just looking back at it, Chris Marsden in the midfield. Marion yeah. um, uh, Pahar is scoring twice against Everton on the final day of the season. Igor Lostenstad, another former Blackburn Rovers player, um, also in that in that team. In fact, he was joint top scorer with Matt Letizia for Southampton that season. So um, some names bringing back some images there. Um, let's let's just. Uh, I, I'm conscious of the fact that we've been talking for 50 minutes, and uh, we're probably only you're only 21 at this point in your career, so we should probably speed things up a little bit. Um, how did you cope with um, like kind of going on a run of not scoring goals? You said you were very strong mentally, um, but does it bring you down when you go like quite a few games without scoring, and or do you know that it'll always come back eventually? Uh, you, you never, you never know, but it's it's your self belief and and the belief in you know your process and how you're training. Um, I always had you know big self confidence, uh, and this is something now w- w- in coaching that I, I I I try and tell the or, or coach the lads that, that I coach. It's um, confidence is is not something you have; it's something that you do. So your confidence comes from training well, scoring lots of goals in training, you know, doing the right things. Uh, of course, trying to improve such things as, as movement, touch, the technical stuff. Um, but you have a when you're on a purple patch or you're in, a, in the middle of a, a scoring run, you're actually you're not a different person, but you just have a different feeling in your body that everything you're going to hit is going to... So being able to, or to try and learn to create that feeling, um, a lot of it for me was about self-talk and, and not not sort of hammering myself too much when I was in, in, in dry spells and trying to keep myself upbeat in my mind and, and trying to get those feelings back of when you were when you were scoring or you, you'd scored a specific goal or, or trying to recall the, the times and just playing that over and over again. Mm, um, Visualisation techniques. Yeah. yeah. We, we, there was a, a guy that came in for visualisation and he said he'd worked with the Great Britain hockey and, um, you know, a few other high-profile teams and he said he's the most visual person that I've ever worked with. But I do, I do relate a lot of scenarios and, and events to you know visual things to try and um either recapture moments or put myself in a state of mind that I need to be in. Did you ever visualise that you would play for England? No. I just all I wanted to do was do well for, for Southampton for the club and, that I was playing for. And that kind of obviously worked out really well. You 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 had a fantastic season for Southampton, I think two thousand and three and you got called up into the um, England squad um, in 2003. I think Australia was your debut, which has kind mm. of gone down in a bit of infamy in the Australian press. They called it the greatest upset of all time, which is <clears throat> completely hyperbolic since they had a lot of Premier League players in their team um, and we were playing quite a, a youthful team, I seem to yep. recall at the time. Um, I mean, <sighs> incredible like achievement for someone from, from Blackburn to 
to play for England. Like, when did you find out that you were going to get into the squad and, and how did it feel going into that first training session? Um, I think I got a text message. Um, and then I got a phone call. It wasn't, I don't think it was, it wasn't from Sven. It was from maybe Brian Kidd or someone like that. Um, who later became the uh, assistant manager to Brian Robson at Sheffield United, funnily enough. And uh, yeah, just, I thought I deserved it. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you were the in, top in, English in, goal scorer, weren't you, I think, at the time? Yeah, in, in sort of, you know, probably looking back on it, um, I don't think the, the England managers venture down to Southampton. They might do now with, with Ingsy and Prowsey in there. But, it was there was a big thing about it at the at the time that the the smaller sort of clubs didn't really get a look in, but I just kept chipping away and and my main focus was to do well for Southampton and if the England call came then great and it did. You weren't overawed by anybody when you got in there and you felt you belonged there. Um, I, I suppose that I, I, you never on your first time you're never going to think that you belong there because getting there is one thing it's staying there um but as I said before the self-confidence I'd scored a lot of goals that season and it was um you know it was a little bit of a a different environment um there was probably only two of the seniors that spoke to us there was a little group of us me Bridgie Trevor Sinclair Matty Upson and uh, Beckham and Saul Campbell were the only ones who sort of came over and said, is everything all right, lads? Uh, how are you finding it? All that. Mm. It was quite clicky. So, uh, well, this is what I was going to ask you a question about, because it's, it's actually kind of well documented now. Um, BT Sport have run a lot of videos on this with Gerard and Lampard and, and Rio and all these these players around that time where we, we knew that we had very good players. They They talked about how the spirit wasn't maybe quite right as long, you know, Sven's tactics and all that sort of put that to the side. But Liverpool and Man United and then Chelsea and, and all the different groups of players that kind of came together to make that England side, could you tell that it just didn't quite fit between the groups of players? It was a bit, it's a little bit disjointed. And, and what we mentioned at the start, whatever the badge is on the front, that's what you're playing for. And we, we, you know, I talk, I talked about growing up wanting to play for Blackburn and, like you said, putting the red rose on with the Arte Labore underneath. That was the dream. But to, it shouldn't matter. As soon as you go with England, it's playing for that badge, and the badge is three lions. And I think that there's a there's a huge difference in the way that the environment is now under Gareth, and was back then under the, you know, the sort of foreign coaches. Mm, yeah, it certainly seems that way anyway, uh, from the outside looking in. Uh, we disappointed not to make it to Euro 2004 then? Um, yeah, I was. I think, um, you know, I, I don't know whether... I was, I was, I suppose you're never going to be happy with, you, you know, your own performance. I was quite self-critical, but self-helpful as well. Um, but I thought I deserved to go to Euros, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's another tournament letdown for England. So um, let's 
we have a, a couple of questions here from non-Blackburn fans as well. Um, and I think that's appropriate to throw them in here. Um, uh, Felix, who's um, a data statistician, but a big Everton fan, um, he said, did you feel any pressure when you moved to Everton for the fee that you moved for? Was it the then record signing for Everton? Six million-ish. Yeah. Um, so did you feel any pressure for that? Not really, no. Um, I've, again, just self self belief and the, the the price tag didn't matter. Um, I was told by Harry that I was the only saleable asset when he came in. Um, so again, it was you know a decision that was taken uh, for me basically. Um, so then I had I had the choice of Villa or Everton. Um, and I met I met both managers and uh, decided to go to Everton. Yeah, but the price tag didn't really bother me. No, I wonder what I wonder whether that's overblown. Sometimes it always seems like media talk to me. Obviously, it's not really much to do with the player what he gets bought and sold for. Um, then we have one uh, Sheffield United. I think you're very well thought of at Sheffield United, judging by the reaction that I've had from from uh, doing this. Um, did you enjoy your spell at Sheffield United? Obviously, you're quite prolific there, um, even even compared to like, your time at Southampton. So, what was it about Sheffield United that you enjoyed playing for for them? Um, I remember I remember meeting Brian Robson, and I had it in my head that I wouldn't ever or or, or try my best not to play outside the Premier League. Mm-hmm. So it was. Um, it wasn't a difficult. It wasn't a difficult decision to meet Brian, but within a minute of speaking to him about what he wanted me to do, I wanted to play for him. Mm. Um, about the you know the ambitions they had for the club and what they wanted to do, they wanted to get straight back up, all that sort of stuff. Um, but he made me feel on top of the world, having you know been sort of pushed out at Everton. And uh, yeah, in the end, it was an easy decision, but it was made easy by what Brian had said and how he was with me. And you did carry on playing in the Premier League as well. You played for Stoke, you played, you went up north to play for Rangers. Um, you also played for Blackpool and again, Sheffield United. I want to talk to you more about Eccleton Stanley, but is there any highlights from, from those other clubs that you want to just throw in there? What, what, what was it like um, towards um, the back end of your career? Yeah, the, the Stoke was a good, you know, good experience uh, being back in the Premier League and, and, Ensuring survival in that first season was was a great achievement. Um, sort of soured towards the end, but then going to, going to Rangers, it was a little bit of a weird time for me because I hadn't really trained properly for about six months, and then I went up to Rangers and ruptured my rep 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 fem, which is your main kicking muscle in my right leg. So I was out for another fourteen weeks. So it was just mm-hmm. bad timing for me that. Um, and then yeah, getting loaned to to Blackpool uh, and then not, not being able to secure, you know, their Premier League status. Um, you know, that was disappointing. Very uh, close. It went down to the final there, that one, didn't it? At Man United, yeah. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I, I remember meeting Danny Wilson and the opportunity to go back to Sheffield United. I'd enjoyed my time there so much. Um, again, a great set of lads, good people working at the club. Many who I still speak to now, um, 
you know, they're in a bit of a mess at the moment with with Chris going and, and then the chairman resigning, which is a bit of a strange one. But um yeah, that that sort of again, maybe maybe I wasn't as fit as I, I, I wanted to be. Um and then went to yeah, just went in to train with Aki. Um because of my relationship with Liam Richardson, who we, we were YTs together at Blackburn. Yeah. And then in, and I said, oh, I can have a few games and that. He said, yeah, no problem. You know, I'll be, be happy to have you. Uh, un- until January, put myself in the in the shop window again, you know, see what else comes along. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed being with them lads so much that it was my decision. Or, or I asked Liam and... Um, if I could stay till the end of the season because I wanted to help them lads get out of the you know the trouble we were in and uh you know we managed to survive and it was it was one of the best things I'd done even you know having played Premier League majority of my career it was it was one of the personally one of the best achievements to help them lads and to secure a league status for the club so you went kind of only as a player you didn't were you thinking about you know, developing your coach inside at that time, or was it just purely a playing decision? I, I think I you could, I could lend me experience to Liam, mm. um, and he would ask me things, and you know, you'd you'd be in the games and you'd help the younger players. Um, but I thought I'd play for another two or three years, uh, or I wanted. Yeah. To, uh, but then the opportunity arose to to manage. Um, and having spoke to various managers vastly more experienced than myself, they were saying, yes, play as long as you can. But if you're going to manage, being player manager is is very difficult because you, you, you're sort of having to flip between two personalities. Mm. And, and, and a lot of them have found it difficult and said that they wouldn't do it again. So I, I made the decision to stop playing and manage. And you managed, I think, 50-odd games for, for Accrington Stanley. Um, I imagine you learned a lot in that spell. It's your only managerial role today in terms of like your first-team manager. Like, why is that? Is, there, is that something that you want to go down again, or did you learn something in that time that's kind of put you off? No, no. No, not at all. Um, I will I will manage again. Um, but it was a... It, we go back to wanting to be the you know, the best that you can be. So mm. I'd experienced the man- managerial side of it at Accrington. I loved it. Um, did many things to improve the club on on and off the pitch. But I knew I needed to get better at coaching for the style of manager that I wanted to be. So that's why I said, right, OK, I'll, I'll stop managing now. Not stop, but I'll put it on hold, develop as a coach. And now seven, eight years later, I've had some, you know, really good roles and um, grateful for the opportunities I've had to, to manage, to, to coach at such clubs as Swansea and um, Leeds, Birmingham uh, and Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough and Sheffield Wednesday only briefly. But it's uh, I feel much more accomplished or, or much more at the standard that I want to be able to, you know, mix the two. So, you know, whatever the next opportunity is, whether it be, um, 
you know, working with Gary again. I've had conversations with two other people that have offered me positions. Um, so, you know, I think the the work that I'm doing has been recognised. Uh, there's players that have gone that I've worked personally with that have that have moved for a lot of money and developed. Well, uh, on that, Josh Hobbs, who I work with at, at Five Yards, um, said you did a great job with Chris Wood. So he's thankful uh, for your time at Leeds for, for that, if, if not other things as well. Obviously, Leeds have gone on to, to uh, Premier League football as well. And you mentioned there your relationship with Gary. That's Gary Monk. Yeah. Um, obviously, who you, you've worked with closely at most of those clubs that you just reeled off. What is it about Gary and your relationship with him? Is it the share coaching philosophies? Do you have a lot of kind of similar goals? Or what is it with that relationship that you like to keep working with each other? Um, well, I think initially it was it was because um, Gary trusted my my sort of experience in the game, and that I was able to then translate that into into my coaching style. Were your teammates at Southampton? Yeah, we met we, we met when I first went to Southampton, so when I was twenty. Um, do we agree on the majority of stuff? No. We have some pretty good discussions because he was a defender and I was an attacker. So then you've got the the sort of. Um, but I've learned I've learned so much about the game from working with him um, because he's he's very thorough and structured, which is what you know what I am. But there's yeah there's some uh, healthy discussions around uh, being. You know, more, more, maybe more risk averse, or more, right? Okay, more so now I, I feel like I have to ask you. You've you've said that you want to be a particular type of manager, and you needed to develop on the coaching side before you felt like you could do that. What is it that you you want to do, and what is your philosophy in terms of how you want to see football being played on the pitch? Um, I want to, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to see the team playing good football. But ultimately, you you have to you have to win games, don't you? Um, I think a lot of a lot of the training that I I like is around decision making, because that's what defines you know good player from a very good player, very good from excellent excellent world class. They make the the, the better players make decisions, better decisions more often, um, and it's about about developing the relationships between the players and, and the coaching staff um, and building trust. So they trust what you're giving them information on. Um, and yeah, you want, I want I want the team to, to win games, but win them in the manner that suits the game. So they're, they're able to make decisions within the game. So if they're, if they're playing through and they're getting caught, then maybe switch it up a little bit and, and maybe go a bit a bit longer or whatever. Um, and game management's another massive thing as well. Um, and me- mentality. So you've been watching from afar maybe Blackburn Rovers' results and performances, perhaps, I don't know how closely you, you follow it now. Um, what you've said there is a lot of what Tony Mowbray would say, I think, um, talking about a particular way of playing, but getting results and this is what Blavin Rovers fans at the moment 
obviously very critical of the club because it's it's not been like that. Um, one win in 15 until the win at Derby at the weekend. Um, what do you make of the job that Tony has done? Um, you, you can take that holistically uh, as well, but does there come a point where you have to almost sacrifice those performances to be a bit more pragmatic to get results? Yeah, it depends what sort of situation the team's in and where, where they are. Um, I think I think you, you you've, your, your philosophy has to be in it fluid in the sense that yeah, does does are you more performance driven or are you more results driven? But if you can marry the two up, then you know I suppose that's what everybody wants. Um, but the, there will be a, a time where I suppose results do the the sort of scales tip. You know, results get more important than rather than a performance. Or it's um, it's just basically where where the club are at, at that time. Um, if there's a if there's a you know a way of playing that the club want to play, and you're not getting results, you know, uh, uh, playing that way, then you know maybe it's it's a it's something for the club to look at, and then you you you'd look at players. Can you get the right players in to play that way? Is, is are, are, have you got the players in that that are, are capable of playing that way? So then, the, then, then the whole club structure comes into into the picture. Yeah, absolutely, it's a tricky one. Um, I'm sure that. Well, I think just at the end of the season, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens, and uh, hopefully we can build again for next season. I've got quite a few questions here from um, fans. Um, let's just launch into those, if that's okay with you. Um, there was always speculation that you might come back to Rovers. Were you ever close to return? That's from Reg Rover and Alexander Haben on Twitter. Uh, I don't. I don't think. Not to my knowledge. Um, Brfcs asks, uh, "What house were you in at Queggs? Uh, he was Drake. Grenville. Uh, Grenville, same as John Greenwood, apparently. Um, Adam Turner asks, "What was your favourite thing that you used to buy from Woody's Frog's Van at Queggs lunchtime?" Um, pickled onion space riders. I don't even know what that is. Uh, California Rover sticking with with the Quakes. Uh, no, I meant the Frost Van. I know what the I know oh, what the uh, ice cream van. Oh, okay. And it used to be down the bottom of a hill as well, and we all used to run down and smash into each other to try and get to the first. <laughs> down Duke's Brow. Yes. Um, California Rover asks, "Did you ever win ten in a row at Quakes like he did?" Obviously, just showing off there. Not bothered. No. Um, <laughs> uh, let's have a go. Uh, Gareth Moore is asking about Paul Daniels and his watch. That's no. Nah, I say I've heard this story. It's it's about Kilgallen telling a story, but I don't. I'm, I, I don't recall that at all. <laughs> Maybe you were hypnotised. Um, I think I think that's a story that has been embellished by a killer. Oh, I see. Um, Ashley Morris didn't ask. Sounds good on a podcast, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Probably one under the cash or something like that. Um, Ashley Marsden asks the classic um, best player you played with and against question. Uh, with would be Scholes. Um, against would be Sol Campbell when he was at Arsenal. And um, loads of people have asked this question. Would you like to return to Rovers one day in the coaching staff? Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice, yeah. But I, we'll, have to, we'll have to see where... 
where we, where we end up. Yeah, absolutely. You never know what life will throw at us next. So um, thank you so much for your time, James. That's all the thank questions you. that um, the fans have asked. Um, hopefully people have enjoyed this and uh, you can you can get about your day again now. Thank, thank you, you uh, for your time. You're welcome. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below.